It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day, another show. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Good one coming up today. Phil Miller from the Star Tribune covers the Twins. Joins me here in a little bit. Bunch of stuff I wanted to connect with him about. Um, the Carlos Santana signing from over the weekend, what he makes of the Bally Sports North news that, that the Twins will be back on Bally Sports North for a year. Phil and I have both been covering that story for quite a while, and he has some good insights into that, so he and I will get into that. And he had an interesting story over the weekend on the Polad family and kind of their dedication to keeping this team under family ownership for a long time, um, kind of spurred, I would believe, by the uh, by the decision of the uh, the Orioles ownership to put that team up for sale. So lots of stuff with Phil with baseball right around the corner. He mentioned on the show uh, one week until pitchers and catchers report. That is amazing um, to think that that is so soon. Um, Surely probably a few more marginal moves for the Twins to make before the season starts, but we will talk about the ones they have already made and maybe some of what is yet to come. Got some uh, interesting Super Bowl field condition stuff towards the end of the sh- of the show, as well as a stray thought about Creed. First, though, what I miss, let's start with the NFL draft. I think maybe uh, Vikings fans and you know media included have been focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to quarterbacks with the Vikings. We've been locked in a little bit too much on that number 11 pick for the Vikings. Like what what could fall to them at 11? Can they move up at 11 from 11 to get what they want as far as one of those top three quarterbacks, right? You got Caleb Williams, you got Drake May, and you got uh, Jaden Daniels. All three of those guys probably not going to be there at number 11. Certainly not Caleb Williams, almost certainly not Drake May. Jaden Daniels has kind of moved around a little bit, but you see him as high as number three. And those top three teams, like I've talked about on this show before, all of them need quarterbacks. Those top three teams picking in the draft, the Bears, the Commanders, and the Patriots. That could be one, two, three with quarterbacks, especially if each of them identifies the one that they like the best so in that case Vikings moving from 11 a it would take a ton of draft capital to get up into that top three and b if all three of those teams are quarterback needy teams why would they trade out of those spots it would it just doesn't make sense so the Vikings are going to find themselves in a very daunting position if they're trying to trade up to get one of those three however I think we've been thinking about the next tier of quarterbacks maybe a little bit wrong. Um, Seeing a lot of talent evaluators talk about what came out of the senior bowl. um, I don't think JJ McCarthy was there, obviously, because he's younger than that. But you get guys like Bo Nix, guys like um, Michael Penix Jr., guys who, you know, guys who are sometimes seen on on the you know end of the first round middle of the first round on certain draft boards but guys that the Vikings could more realistically be targeting not at number 11 and not even necessarily after a trade down at number 11 but with their second round pick at number 42 in fact uh, ESPN's most recent mock draft has the Vikings taking Penix out of Washington with that number 42 pick in the second round. And more interestingly is their look at the Senior Bowl, kind of what the scouts were seeing at the recent, recently completed Senior Bowl, what they think of both Knicks and Penix out of the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, kind of looking at Knicks saying he bottom third of round one is his earliest predicted draft range, but likely 
early, uh, early latest early latest predicted draft range early round three, most likely draft range early to middle of round two, which is exactly where the Vikings are picking. So Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback who threw seventy four touchdowns, ten interceptions in the last two years, and uh, is is a pretty good mobile quarterback as well. He could be sitting right there at 42 when the Vikings pick. Now, there are some issues with him at the Senior Bowl. They didn't love the way he threw the ball downfield, which is a little bit disappointing. But he could be sitting right there. Same with Penix Jr. Questions about his durability. He had a whole bunch of seasons where he missed time with injury in college. The last two, he was healthy at Washington, put up huge numbers, 67 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, took Washington all the way to the championship game this year before they lost to Michigan. They see him most likely as a day two pick. Day two pick means second and third round. So definitely could see Penix being there when the Vikings pick at number 42 in the second round. Like I said, he's mocked there by a couple people lately. So just takes one team, of course, for one of those guys to jump into the first round. You've also got McCarthy, like I talked about, who's probably thought of somewhere in the middle between Penix, Knicks, and that's in that top three. But he could be in play if they liked him. Bigger picture is this. I, I feel like we've been lumping all these quarterbacks into the first round, thinking about them as first round guys, when really, <clears throat> after you get past a few quarterback needy teams people aren't going to necessarily reach into that first round to take guys if they don't have a first round grade on them so someone could be there at 42 you could rethink the viking strategy is this maybe they're going to re-sign cousins but maybe not maybe they'll maybe they'll get get a bridge quarterback they're going to have to have something they're going to have some sort of plan going into the draft because free agency will play out you know, a month, six weeks before the draft. They're going to have to have some kind of notion going in that they can add somebody there. But they, they could still at that point, whether they have cousins or not, draft someone in the second round. A guy like Michael Penix could be there in the second round. We were thinking, man, is he going to be available at 11? Then these kind of, you've seen him a little bit more. You've seen the evaluations. You've seen, okay, maybe he's, maybe he's not quite that caliber. Maybe he's going to fall to that second round, maybe even that third round. Who knows? Although the Vikings don't have a third round pick this year. Maybe a guy like Bo Nix is someone they like that they could take in the second round. We will, we will see that the, the upshot is that we're probably thinking about this a little bit wrong based on where they're drafting, what their needs are, and what other teams might do. Very unlikely, I think, at this point, that they could move into that top three or get one of those top three guys, even if one of them fell a little bit. A lot more likely that they could even maybe get one of those next tier guys at 42. Maybe then you use 11 on a, you know, a great defensive end, an, an edge rusher for your defense. Maybe you trade down and get a couple picks out of it. Who knows? what you do. But if you start to think about it that way, that you could maybe get your guy at 42, not have to spend that pick at 11 on a quarterback, then their draft starts to make a little bit more sense. Then you start to think about, hey, they could fill a few more holes and still come away with their quarterback than you might otherwise think. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk twins with Phil Miller, Star Tribune beat writer. Got a bunch of things I want to catch up on with you, Phil. Uh, first off, how you doing? Doing great, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, when this airs, uh, we're a week from pitchers and catchers. 
That's great. That's that's got it sneaks up on you. Maybe it doesn't sneak up as much this year because it's been so mild in Minnesota. Maybe helps people think baseball a little bit uh, a little bit sooner. But you know the Twins, Phil have you know, we had a, kind of a quiet December, but things have picked up. I talked to our colleague Bobby Nightingale last week about the Jorge Polanco trade. More recently, they've added a few uh, kind of fringe pitchers, but the bigger move being signing Carlos Santana in free agency. How much? Do, how much do you think he plays next year? Given kind of how much he's played in the course of his career, which is pretty much an everyday player, but getting older, hits lefties better than righties. Even as a switch hitter, what do you think his playing time looks like when he comes here? Yeah, you know he's bounced around for a few years now, like four or five years since he was uh, since he was in Cleveland. And you think, well, that's a guy. Uh, you know, that's a guy. Well, in the sense of the Twins, he is a guy just looking for uh, a contract that someone will pay him, and uh, five million dollars is cheap for um, somebody with his history. So it makes you think, boy, he must be right at the end. Uh, and then you look it up. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he had he had twenty three home runs last year. Yeah. That would have led the twins. Um, I didn't who, by the way, that. Jeez. Yeah. Who, well, yeah. I mean, not many people recall. Maybe uh, Michael A. Taylor led the uh, twins and homers last year. Um, so he he still has a skill that is useful. He was a finalist for the uh, gold glove in the National League at first base. Um, he's more he's a more useful player than uh, than perhaps I uh, realized uh, when I started digging into. Uh, the signing it uh, it makes a lot of sense. He was um, inexpensive, five million dollars. Basically, they used the money that they got, part of the money that they got from the Mariners in the Polanco trade to sign him. Um, he's a first baseman. DH uh, gives them insurance about uh, with Alex Kirilink, uh, Kirilov's um, shoulder. Uh, he was the one guy. While everybody at Twins Fest said. Going great, healing fine, uh, getting ready. He's the one guy who said, well, I'm hoping to be ready uh, maybe by the end of uh, February, hopefully by the time the first games uh, begin, which uh, is not ready to go on day one. Uh, and I think maybe uh, it's a little insurance for uh, playing um, playing the base. He's also kind of a uh, – he fills the Donovan uh, Solano uh, – role of uh of occasional right-handed bat uh, in and out of the lineup so i think he is uh, a more valuable uh player than uh maybe uh you suspect i i have been telling people if you squint really hard maybe you can see nelson cruz in there yeah and he was the same age when he was acquired for twice the money um i'm not saying that uh carlos santana can become the you know the team's force the way uh, Nelson did for um, a couple of years, but uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, a, a switch hitter, which uh, um, Polanco was there, was their uh, switch hitting bat. So uh, I would suspect that he plays more than a hundred games. I, that would be uh, my guess. I, I don't know. Uh, um, you know, he, he's 38. Uh, so we'll see how, uh, how much uh, rest he needs, uh, how the daily grind uh, affects him now. But uh, I think it is a good, cheap pickup for a, a team that needed to uh, 
pump up the the offense a little bit more. Yeah, the salary says part-time player or, you know, not everyday player, but the the history with him suggests he could be at least and like I said he hits lefties better than righty. He's not like he's not embarrassing from the other side of the plate, but you, you do have that that piece to him where you know, if you wind up in a platoon with him and um, with and him and Kirilov more or less at first base, but he does still DH some um, in in those other games when, when Kirilov is also playing first base. So against right-handed starters, you could see him playing 110, 120 games maybe, and you can see the lineup looking pretty good. I think Bobby did something the other day kind of looking at projected lineups now that he's here and had him kind of in both lineups against righties and lefties. And in either case, the lineups look pretty good this year, I would say. Yeah, they, you know, you got to remember they led the league in home runs last year. Uh, they uh, were in the top five or six in scoring. So um, they didn't, they, you know, they, they lose Jorge Polanco, who actually was only a part-time player uh, due to his uh, couple of injuries. So, and they've lost Michael A. Taylor, their home run uh, Home leader. run champ. Home run, uh, yeah, home run champion. That's, you, you don't think of him as killer brew, but uh, he had a good year. Did you have um, Did you have him on your bingo card? By the way, Twins lead the league in home runs. Michael A. Taylor leads the twi- leads the team in home runs. Did you have that it, on your on your bingo card? It was uh, no uh, that that uh, you could have made some money at uh, at uh, one of the many uh, future sports books around here, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, he does round up round out the lineup nicely. You know, he's he uh, in Cleveland. He just destroyed uh, Twins pitching. He is second in. Uh, history in home run hitting and target field among uh, uh, visiting players. So uh, I, I think it's a really good risk. You know, it's it's similar to the risk they took last year with um, Joey Gallo. And, uh, you know, it's half the price. And certainly you hope that it works out better than it did for uh, for Joey. But, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a signing that uh, makes a lot of sense and that you can um, – cut bait uh, pretty easily if uh, if it turns out he's more 38 years old than you thought. They've Speaking of more 38 than you thought, all these guys aren't 38, but it seems like they've added a lot of veteran relief pitchers lately too. Not a lot of like high leverage moves, but they got one in the Polanco trade. They've added a couple more here in, in pickups in the last few days. This is kind of a add a bunch of arms to the bullpen and, and see what kind of see what see how that this all shakes out in the spring kind of strategy at this point the guys they've added it suddenly Brock Stewart looks like uh, one of the young guys uh, in the bullpen uh, but this is something they do every year they bring in uh, uh, older arms they uh, you know with the twins in their uh, development department uh, they always have a feeling that they found something that they can exploit. They change guys' pitch mixes and, uh, and uh, you know, emphasize uh, different pitches, teach them a new one. Uh, so it's, it, it's kind of uh, knowing what they're getting here, and you take a bunch of them and you weed them out. One concern I do have is that uh, they're depending on uh, Caleb Thielbar to, to be their left-handed specialist, which he has shown he very well he can do in the last few years. He's 37 now, and you yep. you have to pay attention to that. And Giovanni Moran, their other left-hander, uh, it was not so great last year, and it turns out he had an injury. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he can bounce back. I do wonder um, if they're going to uh, have to search for a, a, another left-hander at some point. 
Um, but uh, with the guys they brought in, Jay Jackson and uh, Topa and uh, Duarte, they have, uh, I'm sure what they think is the makings of a good enough bullpen with, uh, you know, the with Stewart and Duran uh, for the back end. So in uh, Griffin Jack's course. So, um, you know, those are, those are guys that don't have to, uh, you know, they don't have to be Mariano Rivera to be useful around here. And if it turns out they're not, uh, you can swap them out. So um, I wouldn't buy any of these guys' jerseys, but uh, <laughs> you might, uh, you know, you might be surprised at the uh, how often you see someone play. And you will be seeing them on Bally Sports North next uh this coming season the twins re-upping for a year that looked you know i think if we kind of read the tea leaves over the last few weeks that looked like the most logical conclusion after kind of where we were seeing things headed my surprise in you know what you told me what you reported is that there doesn't seem to be a direct-to-consumer component to any of this where there's not going to be any kind of standalone streaming element to this in 2024, which seemed to be something they really wanted and ultimately will get at some point, maybe as early as 2025. But that, that piece of it, how did we get, how did we get this done with that not being part of it? Do you think, or, or at least close to get close to done? This is not finalized until Friday. It's not, but uh, yeah, it's a disappointment for the fans. It's a disappointment for the team. Uh, and they were pretty vocal about that as our number one priority in all this. Uh, I think uh, everybody got caught by surprise when uh, when it turns out that uh, Diamond Sports Group and the Bally Networks are suddenly not going out of business and they hope to reemerge from bankruptcy and continue their contracts with, uh, with more than a third of the league. So um, you kind of had to shift gears. Uh, and the Twins, I think, were fairly... Uh, ready to uh, give their streaming rights to MLB and the uh, MLB TV app and let uh, fans use that. In negotiating a one-year extension with Bally, Bally uh, wanted those streaming rights, and uh, so they weren't able to reach an agreement, but but Bally did get them to agree not to uh, put the uh, streaming rights elsewhere. So it's just delaying it by a year and that, you know, if, if it's a good year for the twins, there are going to be a lot of fans unhappy if they uh, can't watch the games without, you know, subscribing to cable or um, satellite or a, uh, a streaming provider that, that carries right. it as part of a bundle. It's, it is a shame. Um, but I think I have a hunch that major league baseball is kind of behind um, blocking uh any chance to go on your own or with that um, Rob Manford in July and I'm sorry, in June made it clear that he wants MLB TV to be a, a go-to app for baseball fans where you could buy one game, one team's games, one month of games or, or every game uh, that's being played. So uh, you got to get teams to become part of that. I think the twins are ready to do that. And now it looks like it's, put off by a year, which um, isn't going to make fans happy. And uh, I know the twins probably aren't very happy about it either. The other element of this is the financial component. We've known probably for a while that they weren't going to get, what, $55 million? That was about what they got last season in their last year of the contract with, with Diamond Sports to be on Bally Sports North. 
They had, you know, it was contentious during the year. They didn't get paid right away, but eventually they got paid in full. How much less do you think they're going to get this year? And will we ever know exactly how much? Because, you know, they they were good at keeping that a secret for a long time until it came out in, in you know, in the courtroom. Do you think that'll have to be part of this finalized uh, finalized agreement that we hear about Friday when when they you know when they clear it with a bankruptcy judge? Or do you think this will be we're going to kind of kind of be guessing at how much they actually did get and how much this did affect payroll this year? I do suspect it comes out at some point because the bankruptcy the debtors have to uh, approve it and uh, and all parties have to approve it and I think it will be uh, part of the court record. Uh, but uh, how much they get is uh, is going to be interesting. You know, the, uh, the Guardians and the Rangers are in a similar boat to the Twins in that uh, Bally tried to drop them last year, missed payments and was trying to terminate the contracts. The Twins, Guardians and Rangers took them to court and forced them to pay what they owed in full. Now, the difference is the Twins contract expired at the end of the year. Um now they have agreed to one more year on Bally's, and so have the Rangers and Guardians. Uh, and it's been reported that the Rangers and Guardians are are getting are taking cuts of roughly fifteen percent um, in uh, what they were owed. And in the in the Rangers' case, they were owed more than a hundred million a year, so it's quite a bit more. Bally can't was not losing a lot of money on the Twins. That came out in court. Uh, it was the Padres and Diamondbacks that were um, loss leaders, as it were. So I don't think I think they can still make money or break even w- with perhaps a similar cut. I will be interested to see what the Twins and Valley agreed with uh, agreed on. Um, if it is the same fifteen percent cut that uh, that the other two teams in the same boat uh, took, that still provides the Twins about forty six million dollars. It's not. It's not 54, but it's not it's not zero, which, uh, you know, was the uh, was the fear if they didn't have uh, a broadcasting partner. So, um, you know, uh, where they go, uh, how much they can make going forward. I think every team in the market is going to make less money because the uh, the cable and satellite um, process where you are paid whether you uh by subscribers whether they watch it or not is, is kind of going away um but if it's if it's just a you know a 10 million dollar cut not even that uh that's uh, you know i think that uh eases the uh, financial um tension that the uh, twins are looking at in their on their balance sheet and obviously, we don't know what it'll be in 2025, 2026, 2027. You can't imagine the number keeps getting bigger and bigger necessarily. But if if I'm a Twins fan and we do find out that, you know, the difference was only $9 million in what they made last year versus you know this year on their TV deal, I'm going to be kind of annoyed that the offseason narrative included, hey, we can't spend too much because in part, we don't know how much TV money we're going to get. Maybe they didn't know how much, but... I would be kind of annoyed if the payroll was cut by like $30 million, but the TV revenue only went down nine. Um, do you think that's a fair, would that be a fair thing for a Twins fan to be annoyed about in the end or not? Well, annoyed, frustrated, certainly. Uh, you have to remember that uh, six weeks ago, uh, we thought Bally's was going out of business and, yes. that the twins, and that the Twins were going to be produced by MLB and that they were just going to go uh, begging for space on... Uh, um, 
cable and uh, satellite systems while uh, while mostly selling direct to consumer. Now, Bally's itself estimates that direct to consumer direct to consumer um, apps might uh, be quite popular, even at, at, at somewhat lower price point. But uh, they could make uh, you know in the neighborhood of what they're making now uh, if they can you know if you can sell it to fans for a dollar a game or uh you know uh during the summer if you if you uh if you only charge uh when uh, when you're playing in the summer months you might find uh, a lot of people signing up for $30 a month $25 a month and uh you can make a lot of that money back uh it would be it would be annoying that they uh didn't spend uh to the ceilings that they have had uh, the last few years uh but you know it really was up in the air uh until uh a couple of weeks ago what they were going to get and uh you know maybe uh, maybe this sets them up to uh acquire a frontline starting pitcher at the trade deadline <laughs> we'll see <laughs> and we still don't know yes and we still don't know exactly how much they're going to get things like that those details um if they come out will probably be later this week or beyond that um Bill, final thing, you had an interesting story the other day about the Polad family, the ownership group of the twins for about the last, what, 40 years now? 40 um, years. Kind of in in the context of the Orioles and and um, that sale. Um, what uh, what did you make of what you heard from the Polad family basically saying, no, no, we, we like this. We want to be in this business for a long time and, and have this team for a long time. You know, a decade ago after Target Field opened, there were a lot of rumors around town that now that the that the ballpark had increased the team's value by quite a bit, which I'm sure it did, and that the Polads would look to cash out and make a lot of money. And you know, one of the one of Carl Polad's sons is a movie producer, and uh, a, you know, a third of uh, a sale of the team would produce a lot of movies. But uh, their new controlling owner, Joe Polad, who was the son of Bob Polad, another one of Carl, uh, Carl Polad's sons. Uh, it wants to run the business and uh, the family seems to be happy with him running the business. And he talked about, you know, the family comes to games. It's, it's how we get together. It makes us part of the community, which we very much want to be. Um, and he made a pretty strong case that, you know, they've got uh, real estate and car dealerships and, and other interests. They don't need uh, to uh, sell the uh team that uh he even hinted i didn't put it in the story but he said uh you know now that his generation is beginning to have kids he could see it uh going to the fourth generation you know maybe the fifth generation uh it uh it is remarkable that the twins have been owned by the family for 40 years now that's uh basically twice as long as calvin griffith owned the twins yeah uh so uh and, and yeah they're Teams are worth a lot more than they used to. We saw the Orioles are are going for uh, one and three quarter billion dollars. I would think that the Polads could get uh, somewhere in that neighborhood if they put the team up for sale. But uh, it, you know, I I know there's a lot of uh, joking about the cheap Polads around town, and uh, you don't have to be happy with their ownership. But it is stable ownership. Uh, there are. Uh, there are some bad uh, owners and, you know, maybe if they realize that uh, 
the team, you know, they don't need the team's income as a family, which they don't. Uh, maybe they will invest a little more. Uh, this owner, I will say, far more than Jim Polad uh, for the last uh, decade and a half, seems like a bigger baseball fan. He is more uh, into he, – he was behind the rebrand. He was behind yep. uh, the new uniforms. He's excited about the new uh, City Connect uniform that's coming out this year. Um, it does seem like uh, he wants to do this. The family wants to do this. And so uh, they are, uh, I think they are the owners of the franchise for a long time into the future. Maybe they can get Sonny Gray at the deadline. How about that? Oh, they're going to miss Sonny Gray. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of people around the twins are going to miss Sonny Gray. Yeah. He was a good one for him last year. He was a good, uh, good, good talker too. He was a good talker. And I think feel like a lot of his wisdom, maybe his, rubbed off already on on Pablo Lopez who seems plenty sharp already yeah. but Pablo kind of you know inherits that kind of sage of the rotation now role doesn't he he really does uh he uh he's got quite a bit less experience than Sonny but uh he definitely sees himself as a leader of the pitching staff a leader in the clubhouse um so uh, and and they definitely need one and if if he pitches like Sonny Gray did last year which he almost did uh, by himself last year. Uh, that will be uh, really big for the Twins. Absolutely. Phil, appreciate it. Great perspectives on a multitude of subjects. Enjoy the sunny Florida weather, hopefully sunny, and I'll probably talk to you next time down uh, down at spring training. All right, Mike. Look forward to it. Thanks. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking insured by NCUA. Good stuff from Phil. And here's maybe where perception isn't really meeting reality with the Twins. Phil just told you the Twins led the league in home runs last year. By the end of the year, they were up there in runs score. They were better than average on offense. Email from Paul, reader slash listener, says, I'm a big Twins fan, but it looks like a very long season coming up. First arise, now Polanco. No one on this team can hit anyway. Um, yeah, I, that was the perception for the first half of the year last year. The offense was actually a lot better the second half of the year. That's only half the year. I get it. But they have the makings of a decent offense this year, maybe more than decent, if they stay healthy. You remember, they didn't get a whole lot from Royce Lewis in terms of durability last year. Byron Buxton had a subpar season. Carlos Correa had a subpar season. Like Those are those should be your three best hitters probably in a given year, or at least three of your, three of your best hitters. If they are all on the field for a certain amount of time, or at least two out of the three of them have normal seasons with normal durability, that offense will automatically be better. Polanco is a good hitter. I get that. Carlos Santana will probably more or less replace the production you got from Jorge Polanco. I think they're going to be pretty good on offense. I'm more worried about the, the pitching than I am the offense this season. But we we will see. I just wanted to point out that is where the perception and the reality are maybe different about this team right now. Time to check my social media, y'all. To see who loves me online. Hashtag blessed life. 
it is time to check my social media. Um, really good exchange the other day with uh, with a listener, reader, who pointed out to me, um, I, I tweeted something about Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers complaining about their practice field uh, before the Super Bowl this year. They're practicing out at UNLV. They brought in some sod on top of the uh, um, on top of a on top of what's normally a turf field because they're going to be playing on grass at the at the, in the Super Bowl I do believe um, so he's com- they're complaining about how it's too soft that they don't think it's it's a good that they don't think it's a good field things like that and I I tweeted something like Kyle Shanahan looks like the kind of guy who would complain about the field. Um, I don't even know exactly what that means, but you know the 49ers maybe had some have have had some petty grievances over the years, things like that. They're just looking for an edge, looking for a way to complain. Well, I got a response from a listener, a reader. Larry says uh, this brings back memories of Bud Grant complaining about either the practice field or the locker room facilities at Super Bowl Eight in Houston. I didn't really remember this. I didn't really know about this. Went back and looked. He is absolutely right. Now, my two primary sources on this are a Sid Hartman column, late great Sid Hartman column from about eight years ago when he was reminiscing about all the Super Bowls uh, when it was Super Bowl Fifty and um, a Wikipedia article referencing a book on all of the Super Bowls. So I mean, this is pretty, two pretty good primary sources, but I wanted to vet that, let you guys know where I am pulling this information from. Sid uh, absolutely wrote about that. He said, January 13th, 1974. This was before my time. I was not born yet. He said, in Houston, he said, the Vikings practiced at a high school. The Dolphins practiced in the Houston Oilers facility before the Super Bowl. Coach Bud Grant was really upset. There were birds flying around the locker room. There were no lockers. The players just hung their stuff up on the nails and hooks. He told reporters it wasn't even fit for a junior high team. The league got mad and compl- for his complaining and fined him $5,000. Wikipedia doesn't mention the fine, but they did say they, pr- they complained about the pr- practice facilities. It was at Del Mar Stadium. I believe that is a high school stadium. It was about 20 minutes from their hotel. Cramped locker room, no lockers. Most of the shower heads didn't work. No blocking sleds on the field. Direct quote from Bud Grant. I don't think our players have seen anything like this since junior high school. So there you have it. The Vikings complained about it. They ended up losing the game. I don't know if that was why they lost the game. Probably not. But you you can go back there and find some complaints way back uh, 50 years ago at the Super Bowl. The Vikings were already making this fashionable to complain about the field and the conditions leading up to it. By the way, um, the the Wikipedia story also uh, noted that there was n- reports of dissension among the Dolphins arising from owner Joe Robbie's decision to allow married players to bring their wives at the club's expense. The single players were reportedly very angry that they could not bring their girlfriends, mothers, or sisters. I do believe one of the Chiefs players has a girlfriend coming to this game, but I imagine she is probably paying her own way. Let us finish with the cooler. Just had a weird stray thought the other day. I posted it on Twitter. We had a lot. There was a lot of chatter when the Vikings were in the midst of their five-game winning streak. You know, Kirk Cousins started this whole thing with Creed, blasting Creed in the locker room. Joshua Dobbs continued it. He even used Creed on one of his, I think it was a TikTok or an Instagram post about after his first win, second win, whatever it was. Vikings had a five-game winning streak. Everybody was like, Creed, Creed is saving the season. Nobody blamed Creed when the Vikings lost six of their last seven games and the season went sideways. I want to know, 
Should we be putting a little bit more of this on Creed? Should we be blaming them for how the season finished up if we were so eager to give them credit for the five-game winning streak? I say it's a convenient place to put blame, better than trying to blame the the quarterback carousel or the defense that got worse and maybe Kevin O'Connell, how he handled the offense down the stretch. Let's put it on Creed. Um, great, great follow-up tweet, by the way, from John on Twitter says, is this how you remind me? Yes, uh, way to work the Creed lyrics into the pain of the end of the season. That'll do it for me today. I think there's going to be some Minnesota United soccer talk on Wednesday show. Interesting dynamic with that team as they prepare to play in just a few weeks. Uh, I'm hoping to have wide receiver Jordan Addison from the Vikings on a show later this week as well, so stick around for that later this week. Until then, have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.